The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Not, not as if there were stories. I would tell them as if they were true, right? I, I, was, I was basically lying, right? Places I had been, adventures I had gone on, and of course anybody uh, with any sense would go, there's no way you did all those things, right? But um, So, so uh, one example is uh, when uh, we, we lived in Colorado and I, my family would take us skiing, we would go skiing, and I had this cool ski jacket, and I would collect patches from uh, ski areas where I had been. Uh, but then we moved from Colorado to another state, and I had this cool ski jacket with all these patches uh, of these skiers where I'd been. And uh, my friends were all fascinated by this jacket. And it wasn't enough for me just to say, yeah, I've skied at all those places, which was true. That wasn't a story. That wasn't enough. I had to tell them, yeah, I used to be on the ski rescue team. I was a ski patrol. <laughs> I was 12, right? <laughs> like, uh... That's what I told them, right? And, you know, uh, the, 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 I, I came to the realization, um, you know, it was so much easier to lie back then because you didn't have to post anything on Facebook. In fact, you couldn't post it on Facebook. Like if anybody, you know, in modern times, you make up stories and they go to your Facebook or your Instagram, it's like, well, if you were on the ski patrol, why don't you have pictures on your Instagram account, right? Uh, back then you could just make things up and there was no way to check, right? So... Why did I make up those stories, right? Why, did I, why was I telling people all these? And that was only one of them. There were many more, right? Why would I do that? Why would I just make stuff up like that? Well, clearly my, my goal was to impress my friends, right? I wanted them to think I was cool and I was important. I had done cool things they had never done. It made me better than them, right? So that they would admire me and respect me and say, wow, Tim, you're cool. Um, and, and the thing, the reason, the reason I had to make up stories is because really I wasn't cool. <laughs> really, I was just a boring, plain, average, skinny, unathletic, average kid. And I felt like there's nothing special about me unless I make up stories about myself. Right? The only real talent I had when I was a kid was I talked too much. <laughs> right? And, and nobody was impressed with that. So I made up these stories. So um, I think that's just a good picture of we we all feel this pressure, I think, uh, to prove uh, that we are somebody, right? We we don't want to be just average. We don't don't want to be just part of the crowd, right? We we, we feel this pressure uh, both internally but also from the world around us to be somebody, to, to feel like our life is important or we are special in some way. Uh, and that our life has some significance and purpose. Like I said, now you can't just make up stories. Now you actually, to do this, like it was so much easier when you could just make up stories and probably safer. Uh, now you actually have to prove it by posting it on Instagram, right? Uh, so to be somebody now, you actually have to either be really good at Photoshop, right? So it can look like you did things you didn't do, or you actually have to do these things. So, so nowadays, uh, you know, people have to, to get attention, they have to travel to exotic places or have these crazy adventures or just do stupid things. And, of course, there's all these challenges to do stupid things. And, 
post it on Instagram. It's like, wow, you're cool. Uh, I don't know. So some, some of these stupid things people do are just crazy. And uh, if, if, you, if you want some entertainment, go to the Red, you know, Google Red Bull, and all these Red Bull challenges people are doing are just unbelievable. And you know, some of them back it used to be a few months ago, like just jumping off a cliff in a flying squirrel suit. You ever seen these flying squirrel suits they wear? Jump off a cliff. You know, that was enough to kind of get attention. But now everybody's doing that, so jumping off a cliff isn't cool anymore. Now you got to jump off a cliff and dive into a flying airplane or something. Like these crazy things that they do. And, uh, and if you survive, you can post the video. If you die, you're disqualified. Right? You're not cool anymore. Uh, so, so that's kind of the world we live in, right? <clears throat> um, and, and I think there's two ways to react to this pressure. One is to uh, to do these things, to, to kind of try to measure up by doing these things to, to prove we're somebody, to get attention, whether it's wild adventures or whatever, uh, proving yourself as a good athlete or super beautiful, uh, whatever. Uh, you, you try to live up to those expectations. Or uh, maybe we kind of go to the other extreme is, and we know, well, I, I am nobody and I, I will never be cool so I'm just going to hide, and I'll just try to be as invisible so people don't know what a loser I am. And I know for a fact, because um, <clears throat> I have personal, some personal encounter and experience with it, that um, some people are still wearing masks because they, they do fear COVID or because they're sick. But some people I know wear masks still because they're hiding, right? Because they think, you know, I'm not beautiful, and my face is ugly, and so I have a good excuse to cover it up. I'll just wear a mask all the time, right? And uh, so, so that's kind of the world we're in. Uh, and really, it comes down to our self-image, right? How we see ourselves, and how we think others see us, and and then of course there's how we want them to see us, right? The image we want to project of who we are. <clears throat> when you say, well, what does all this have to do with uh, Colossians, right? Uh, were the Colossians being tempted to post Red Bull videos on their on their Instagram page? Well, no. But this is very much what was going on with them. Uh, Paul was writing this letter to the church at Colossae because influential people around them in the community where they lived were telling them that they were no good, telling them that they were uh, second-class citizens and that they did not measure up and that that their faith in God wasn't real. And they were trying to tell them, look, you're not, you're not even really God's people. You're just second, at best second rate citizens, maybe, maybe even lower than second class citizens. And, uh, you just don't measure up. You're not as good as us. You're not as cool. You're not as spiritual as we are. And so as a, as a result, they were having kind of a spiritual identity crisis. They were having issues with their self image. Uh, and, and as we know, when we don't feel good about our self image, we feel this pressure to do something, to upgrade ourselves so that we will be approved and accepted by those influential people. The problem was that uh, in order to conform, in order to get a new self-image, if you were, uh, if you will, uh, they, were, they were being encouraged to do things that were actually moving them away <clears throat> from the gospel, moving them away from their faith in Christ and uh, causing them to... Uh, uh, put their whole faith at, at risk, because to conform 
to what these people were saying made you cool was the very opposite of what it meant to be <clears throat> a true follower of Christ. So Paul writes this letter to encourage them and give them assurance and confidence that their faith was real and really that they were a people of incredible worth and value. They were, they were somebody <laughs> at a level they, they couldn't even imagine, right? And uh, that they're... Uh, and it's important to, to see that Paul doesn't say here, your self-image isn't important. Right? He doesn't say that. But what he does say is that you, make, you need to make sure your self-image is rooted in the right thing. That you are seeing yourself in the right light. And so that's why I've, I've called this message, uh, seeing your life in a different light, in the right light. Building your self-image about things that uh, are the right perspective. Um, and so Paul's basically telling them that they need, they need to change their point of view and see who they are in a different light. Um, uh, not change to be, uh, to cave into this pressure that they were feeling. And it's a, it's a message that's very relevant for us today as we're all feeling that pressure. Uh, we are all being told by the world and by people around us that you need to be this. You need to have the right self-image. You need to measure up to what we think is cool. You know, uh, but, but the Bible saying you don't have to jump off a cliff in a flying squirrel suit uh, to be cool, right? There, there are better ways to root your who you are and build your self, um, self-identity. So how do you see yourself? Uh, how are you uh, looking at your life? And are we seeing ourselves in the right perspective, the right light? So let's see uh, from Scripture how, how Paul encourages the Colossians, and hopefully us. <clears throat> and basically, there's three ways that Paul says you need to see yourself. Uh, three, uh, three kinds of light, if you will, to, to see yourself and to build your self-image. And the first one, Paul says, is to see yourself in the light of the resurrection. See yourself in light of the resurrection. He says, he says in verse 1, If then you have been raised with Christ... If, if you've been resurrected with Christ, raised with Christ, and he starts with he starts with this big if, and this if is super important because what he's describing here isn't true for everybody everywhere. It's only true if you meet certain expectations, certain qualifications, right? If these things are true of you, then uh, you can you can have confidence. You can have this different self image, right? So. So this big if is super important. So what is the big if, right? We said this is true about you if you have been raised with Christ. Well, um, uh, what is that, right? What does it mean to be raised with Christ? Um, uh, I had a hard time getting out of bed this morning. Uh, every morning is kind of a resurrection for me, right? Because I'm dead to the world, right? But, but what does it really mean when he says being raised with Christ? It's, what is that? Well, uh, he talked about that in the first half of the book. And so he says, first of all, being raised with Christ means you have heard the message of the gospel. You've heard about Jesus and what he's done. So in Colossians 1, 5, and 6, he says, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, uh, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. So the first thing we have to do is we have to hear this message 
about who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And he's talked about that a lot in the first part of the book. Um, but it's not enough to hear the message. We also have to believe it. We have to accept it and receive it by faith that it's true and that it, it matters to us, that our, uh, it will change and impact our life. So we have to believe it. And so in Colossians 1.21 he says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Okay, you weren't Christians. You were outside of Christ. You were um, far from him, alienated. But you he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. So Jesus, by dying on the cross through his death, through his body, he's reconciled you with God so that he could present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him if indeed you continue in the faith. Right? So what, God, what Jesus has done for you, we, we appropriate, we receive it uh, by, by believing it's true, by trusting in it, by continuing in faith. And the result of this is that we, we become uh, people who inherit or take possession of a new kind of life. Right? Our old life is, is, is destroyed, and we now become people who have a new kind of life. So he talks about that in, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. He says, having been buried with him in baptism. What was buried? Well, our old, our old life. That old life that was hostile to God and alienated and far from him, that hated God. Right? That old life was buried with Christ in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Jesus from the dead. So there's that word, resurrection. Right? We died with Christ, and when we put our faith in him, that old life was buried. But we were raised to a new life. All right? Now, of course, our physical bodies didn't die and weren't raised. It wasn't like we got saved and, boom, we died for half a second and came back to life. No, it's not that. But it means the old person that we were is done away with. It's dead, buried, destroyed. And the life that we have new is a new life in Christ. A completely different kind of life. Right? And he says, and you who were dead in your trespasses, that's your sin, right? The, the stupid things and the evil and the wrong things that you did, God has made alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Right. So this new life is, is one in which our old sin, all of our mistakes, all of our failures have been nailed to the cross with Christ. They have been buried with him forever and forgotten. And now we live in a new kind of life where we are forgiven, where we stand before God holy and blameless, uh, we are a different kind of person. Uh, it sums it up, Paul sums it up in Colossians 1, 13 and 14 this way. Uh, he has, and we actually sang about it, in, or read about it in one of the scriptures already. Uh, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. Right, so not only do we have a new life, but we are now living in a new kingdom, a new realm, a new world order. Right? in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Right? So that's the if. Right? The if is, have you put your faith in what Christ has done, and have you experienced uh, both the, the death of your old person, 
and the resurrection of becoming a new person, new creation in Christ. Right? If that's true of you, he says, then, um, uh, then we need to seek the things that are above. If, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Um, uh, so, 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 so to sum that up, he's saying we need to see our life, we need to have a self-image in light of what Jesus has done for us, what he has accomplished for us, right? The world, uh, the, the, the way most of us want to build our self-image, the way the world tells us our, to build our self-image is based on what we did or are doing, Right? Or what we didn't do. My accomplishments and my achievements, right? So the thing is, when I, when I do cool things, when I accomplish great things, when I'm successful, that makes me look good. That upgrades my self-image, right? That's how it works in the world. But our failures and our mistakes and the, the dumb things we do make us look bad. And my observation is this. People forget our achievements, but they remember our mistakes forever. Right? You can have great victories. Uh, you can win the Super Bowl. You can win World Club Soccer, right? Uh, World Soccer Championship. But um, you make one mistake. What do they remember? They remember the mistake, right? And that may be true for us as well, right? How often that's how we are. We see ourselves um, because of our mistakes, uh, that's what dominates, right? That's what dominates, right? So it's hard to have a self-image when, when it's our mistakes and our failures that seem to loom and carry so much weight, right? And so we, we, we have this self-image that's built on our failures, our, our mistakes, and our mess-ups, right? But uh, Paul is saying you need to change the way you see yourself. Right. That's the old way, that is the old life. Instead, now, our self-image is based not on what we've done, but what on Jesus has done. Right? Jesus died, he took our old self, he nailed it to the cross, he was crucified for us. Uh, our identity, our self-image is based on what he has done. Uh, and the result of what he has done is that all of our mistakes and failures are dead and gone. Right? They are forgiven. The, the record is wiped clean. Right? The debt was nailed to the cross, paid in full, so that now there is nothing left. There's, no, there's nothing to remember of our past failures and mistakes. They are forgiven. And so it's amazing that Paul says we, we will stand before God, holy and blameless, above reproach. Right? There, there's nothing... There's no failure, no mistake, no problem, no anything that, that, that God's going to say, oh yeah, but what about that one time when you did that, right? No, nothing is wiped clean, right? So we have a self-image through Christ that is based on, on his grace, on his forgiveness, on his death for us. And it gives us a life that is new, that is pure, that is clean, that is holy, that is right, that is good, <clears throat> Right, so that's a good place to start with your uh, self-image. Right, I am forgiven. My sins are canceled. My mistakes are wiped away. And who I am now is a new person in Christ who stands before God holy and blameless. Second thing, 
we need to see ourselves, uh, our lives, from Jesus' vantage point, or Jesus' perspective, Jesus' point of view. Right, so, so he says in verse 1, if you've been raised with Christ, then you need to uh, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Right? So we need, to, we need to have Jesus' perspective, and to have Jesus' perspective, we kind of need to see where Jesus is, right? Uh, so we know that Jesus died. He died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again. After he rose again, he appeared to several people, uh, quite a number of people on earth over the period of about 40 days. But then what happened? Well, it says that Jesus ascended to heaven. He went up to heaven. Right? His bodily resurrected uh, person went to heaven. And uh, it says here that he is now seated at the right hand of God. Okay? Now this could this could describe a lot of pictures. Uh, it could be them sitting on the couch watching a football game, watching I don't know Thai drama. I don't know, right? Uh, but that's not actually what it means, right? Uh, when the Bible uses the word at the right hand of somebody, it, it, it's a position of highest honor, power, and authority, right? So we in English anyway we use the the term. This is my right hand man. Okay, it means somebody I count on and who I've invested power and authority in to get things done for me, right? My right-hand man, the person at my right hand, right? Um, for, for Jesus to be at God's at right hand, it means he's in the place of highest authority, dominion, and power uh, of the sovereign God who rules over everything, right? So if you're looking at hierarchies, if you're looking at who's Who's highest above high? Like, who's the king? Who's above the king? Who's above the king of kings? Like, the right hand of God is the top. There's only one, one place higher than the right hand of God, and that's God himself. Right? Uh, and, and really, it's a, it's a position uh, where God himself has invested all of his own authority, power, and dominion in the reign and rule of Christ who sits on the throne over everything. Right? That's where Christ is seated. Uh, uh, it, uh, Paul described that earlier in Colossians with this amazing statement about Christ in, in Colossians 1. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, highest authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Right, so when we talk about where Jesus is seated, it means Jesus in, is in the position of absolute highest power and authority over all of the earth, all of the universe, and all of the spiritual realms. Okay, whatever kingdom, authority, dominion, power you can think of or describe, Jesus is over all of them. Right? So that's where he is, and that's what it means for him to be at the right hand of God. He, he's the boss, he's the king, he's the dude, I don't know how you want to describe it. Like, he's, he's the most, right? And he has power over all things. And he says that, uh, that we are to seek the things above where Christ is seated. Um, uh, and ultimately, that, that, that really means two things, I think, two things. First, that means to seek Jesus himself. Actually, if, if we could all read Greek... It doesn't actually say seek the things above. The, the, the phrase the things is not actually in the Greek. What it literally says in the Greek is simply uh, the above seek. Okay, the above seek. 
what's high up there uh, seek. And it's not so much a thing, I don't think, as a person, right? What is high, what's seated in, in that throne is, is not a thing, but a person. It's Jesus, right? So I think he's saying here, seek Jesus, right? Look to him, uh, not as the one living here on earth, but as the one who's seated uh, in, in power and authority in heaven. Um, so what does that mean? What does that mean for us? Well, I think it means one thing. It means this. It means instead of seeking my approval from my friends, my peers, uh, important people on earth, I seek approval and affirmation from Christ. Right? I look to Jesus to affirm who I am as a person. Um, if the world says you have to jump out of, out of an airplane without a parachute to be cool and make, well, and make a cool video of it, it doesn't count if you don't have a video, right? Jump out of an airplane, make a cool video of it. That makes you cool. That makes you somebody, right? Or if you're beautiful enough, you are somebody. Or if you're strong enough or athletic enough or successful enough, you are somebody. You are a winner. You measure up, right? But Jesus has a completely different view of us, right? And when we seek approval from him, um, I don't think Jesus goes through your Instagram feed or Facebook feed and go, wow, that was cool. Did you see that? This, this moron jumped out of an airplane without a parachute. Oh, like that's cool. I don't think Jesus says that, right? I don't think Jesus says that. I don't think Jesus goes, wow, Super Bowl champions, way to go. Uh, that was awesome, right? Now, of course, he cares about our life, right? He cares about us. But I don't think he's impressed, right? I don't think he's impressed with the things that people are impressed with. Um, instead, Jesus says, no, um, here's the thing. You were a loser. <laughs> you were not enough. You were a total failure. But you know what? I loved you so much, and I cared about you so much, and I valued you so much. Uh, I, I died for you. right? And your mess-ups, and your mistakes, and your failures. I nailed those things to the cross. Right? And now I see you not through those mistakes and failures, but I see you through my own blood. And I see you through the, the forgiveness. I see you now who I have made you new through what I did on the cross. And that's how the Father sees you, right? That's his perspective. He sees you, like he says again in verse 122, he has reconciled us in, in the body of his flesh by his death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Right? When we seek Christ... We, we, we begin to see our life through what he's accomplished, and we are not a loser, no matter what the world says. Right? Uh, I don't need to make up stories about being on the ski patrol. Right? I am holy and blameless and above reproach before God through the blood of Christ. Right? That's who I am in Christ. Uh, it is a different light indeed. Um. So the second thing is we, we do need to see ourselves in this, this different light. Okay, so he goes on and he says in the next verse, set your mind on things above, not on the things on earth. Set your mind on things above. And again, in the Greek, the word things is not actually there. It just is 
uh, set your mind above, set your mind above, uh, not on things on earth. And this phrase, set your mind, is kind of a difficult word to translate. It really just means the word think or have the perspective of, um, to have an understanding, a certain kind of settled understanding or opinion, or to maintain a certain attitude or perspective, okay? So he's not saying here, when he says set your mind on things above, he's not saying, like I remember when I first came to Christ and, and I was so excited about going to heaven someday, and I used to kind of daydream about what heaven would be like. And I, 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 would, I would imagine like the world's largest uh, ice cream sundae, like with gallons of hot fudge on top. And I just would dream about how cool it's going to be to just be able to eat all the ice cream I could and I wasn't ever going to get fat and it was going to be really good, right? And I would think about what it was going to be like when I died and went to heaven, right? That, that's really not what he's talking about here. Like we can have this idea that set your mind on things above. It's like, what's it going to be like when we're floating in clouds and playing the harp or something, right? No, no that's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is seeing our life from heaven's perspective, right? Having Jesus' vantage point as we look down at our life, right? So, so when, we, when we think about our life, when we think about the perspective of how we see our, our life and our existence, there can be kind of the ground view, what we see here on earth, or there can be kind of a, a heavenly perspective of it. Back in the good old days before Google Maps, for those older people who can remember those days uh, before all this great technology, um, they used to have uh, 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 traffic helicopters. You guys remember traffic helicopters? And they would they would fly around the city, like if you lived in a big city, and they would fly around in the morning during rush hour or at night during the traffic, heavy traffic time, and they would survey all the roads, right? And, and they were way up high so they could see, and they would see where there were traffic jams, maybe there was an accident or a car broke down, and it was causing a traffic jam. And uh, so you're down on the road, and all you see is just the little, the little part of the road around you, right? Uh, but you want to know, am I going to be able to get home on time, or am I going to be able to get to work on time? So you turn in the radio, and you'd hear the, the traffic helicopter guy, there's a wreck on this road, avoid that route, take a different, different route, right? Or you could not listen to the radio guy and end up in a huge traffic jam, right? So smart people would turn into the radio and they would, they would get that heavenly perspective, right? And they would avoid lots of problems. Well, that's really what he's talking about here. Um, we need to have that uh, heavenly perspective of our life, <coughs> of who we are and, and how everything going on around us and that we're involved with, how, how Jesus sees it, right? Versus how we see it. Here's an example out of our, my, my own life, our life. Uh, several years ago, um, maybe five or six years ago, uh, within a period of about six months, we lost half of our support. So we raised support, uh, like many of you do. And uh, within a six-month period, we lost half of our support. Now, you can imagine what, what that would do to you, uh, right? Uh, uh, we had a church that dropped us completely, a pretty major church that had a lot of support. We had a, another supporter who lost his job, and so he couldn't support us anymore. And talk about feeling like we were all of a sudden stuck in a traffic jam. I mean, like our life is all of a sudden, you know, 50%. How are we going to do this, right? Now, there's two ways I could look at the, we could look at that situation. I can look at it from the ground view, from the earth view. 
from the middle of the traffic jam, right? And I could, from that perspective, how do I see this situation? I see the situation as as a terrible emergency. Ah, help! I'm in a crisis. It's time to panic, right? And I could freak out, uh, which maybe I did. I, I may have, right? And you start thinking, wow, should I just go home permanently, right? I... I can't, I can't live here. It's over. I've got to go back home, get a job, start working at Walmart, right, whatever. Uh, or maybe go home and start, you know, visiting every church I know, talking to every friend I know. Please support me, right? Uh, I, could, I could write that desperate prayer letter, right? If you don't send me money right now, my children are going to starve to death. And I'll have to be homeless. Please give money, right? Well, that's the earthly perspective. That's how I can see the, the problem if I'm looking at it from just this, this world, right? Or I can see the problem, the situation from Jesus' vantage point, sitting on the throne with all power and authority. Right? Now, if I see that problem from his perspective, it changes the picture dramatically, right? Jesus, who's Lord of all, who's powerful over all things, who knows the beginning from the end, who has a purpose for my life, who called us and who's appointed us and who's leading us. Uh, From Jesus' perspective, is it a crisis? No, he's like, no, I knew this was going to happen. I could have told you, but I didn't want to freak you out until, you know, it was the right time to freak you out. So I didn't, right? And and from Jesus' perspective, he's in control. Right? Jesus is like, I got this. You don't have to worry. I have a plan. My purpose for you has not changed, right? Now it's a good time to ask, okay, well, God, what is your plan? Are you, are you calling us home? Are you telling us our work here is done? Is it time to move? Um, uh, you know, he may have, he may, but, but he's going to lead us, right? And he knows the solution. He knows the way out. He knows the path forward. He knows how to get out of the traffic jam, right? All we have to do is tune into the, the radio and and let him lead us, right? Jesus is not panicked. He's not freaked out. It's not an emergency to him. Sitting on the throne, Lord of all creation, right? You see, when we see our life from his perspective, it's just a lot different, right? It is a lot different. Um, uh, and, you know, we didn't, we didn't freak out. We didn't panic. Well, I did. Okay, I did panic. <laughs> but then I remembered, oh, yeah, no, God's got a plan. And we just waited, right? And, and over the next few months, God brought that money in. I didn't, we didn't send a letter, not even a, not even a good letter. You know? We just let God work. And he took care of it, right? Um, so, so that's what it means. That's what he says here. When you uh, set your mind on things above, it means, and not on things on earth, it means we are seeing life from, from Jesus' perspective, from his vantage point on the throne. Not from the vantage point of here on earth, right? Now, last point. You may say, well, yeah, that's all well and good, but you can't post that on Instagram. Yeah, sure, that makes me live more calm, but that's still, my friends still think I'm a loser, right? People still make fun of me. I'm still not cool. Uh, People still think I'm a dork. Well, maybe you are, actually. I don't know, right? Uh, Maybe that's the way it is, right? So, but... Paul has one more word of encouragement. 
And his word is, is simply this. See yourself as you will appear one day. Okay, as you will appear one day. He says in verse 3, he says, For you have died, your old life has died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Okay, here he says your life is hidden with Christ in God. And the word hidden can really have two ideas. The first is that we are hidden for safekeeping. Right? We're kind of tucked away in a safe place where we are protected. So our life is definitely hidden with Christ. He is holding us safely and securely. He is protecting us and watching over us. And so we don't need to worry about what the world thinks or what the world says because our life is is safely hidden in in God's hands. Uh, So that should be encouraging. Uh, But you might say, yeah, but still people look down on me as a nobody, right? I still feel, you know, this pressure from the world. Yeah, I'm safe, but that that pressure is still there, right? The word hidden has another another idea, uh, meaning, which kind of the more obvious one, it means to be hidden from sight, hidden from you, to be invisible, right? And, and so he says here, uh, our new life in Christ is really a secret, hidden kind of life, right? What we are in Christ is mostly invisible. Uh, we all come to church this morning, and it's nice you all look kind of dressed up and spiffy. Some of you look spectacular, actually. But nobody's glowing in the dark this morning, right? I notice as I look across this whole room, I don't see one single halo. What's wrong with you people, right? Where is your halo, right? Oh, man, I left it at home, hanging up in my closet. No, no, actually, we don't, we don't get halos, right? We don't glow in the dark. We, we, don't, uh, we don't walk on water, right? We don't have angel wings. We look just like everybody else, right? There's nothing particularly spectacular about our life right now. And that is because the new life we have in Christ, this new creature that we are in Christ, is a hidden life for now. Right? Just like Jesus is not uh, present on this world, he also is hidden. Uh, but he's, he is seated on the throne in heaven. Right? Jesus reigns in majesty. And we... Even as Christians who worship him, we do not fully see or grasp the glory and, and wonder of Jesus on the throne. Right? We really have no idea about the, the, the power and glory as Jesus reigns on that throne, what he is like. Right? It's hidden, even to us. Um, and for those who don't know Jesus, uh, they can just completely ignore him. Right? Uh, they can live as if he doesn't even exist. Because it's hidden, it's invisible, it's out of sight. And who you are in Christ is just as hidden and invisible. But it's not going to be that way forever, right? He says, um, he says, when, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Uh, one day, who you are, your life will be fully revealed in all its glory. And we know that Jesus is going to come back. Uh, he is coming back a second time. And when he comes back the second time, it is going to be in spectacular glory. Right? When Jesus came the first time, uh, the wise men, we celebrate Epiphany, uh, 
Epiphany was on Friday. We're kind of having Epiphany Sunday today. Epiphany means uh, when Christ appeared, revealed himself to the wise men. It was it was it was to them that that he uh, the star led them. But everybody else around Jesus, even Herod, the the religious leaders, they didn't see him. Right? They missed him. But the second time he comes, his his second epiphany will be unmistakable. No one will miss him. Right? In fact, Revelation 19 describes it this way. He says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems or crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. That's you and I, if we're followers of Christ. That's us. Right? Uh, we're not riding on donkeys. <laughs> All right? We're on white horses, uh, pure. Uh, and from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus' second epiphany will be spectacular in glory. Uh, The nations will bow before him in fear. And Paul says, when Christ appears, you also will appear with him in glory. And on that day, nothing about you will be hidden. Nothing. The fullness of who you are in Christ will be visible and plain for all to see. Um, Not quite the glory of Jesus for sure, but close. We share in his glory. And what we are is, is far more worth than we can imagine. In fact, the glory and splendor, splendor that, uh, of, of that day would make anyone on earth today tremble in terror if they saw you in that glory. Right? So here's the thing. Let them laugh now. Right? Let them laugh. Let them make fun of you. Just remember, one day, uh, they will stand before you and you will be different. You'll be incredibly different. And they will not laugh on that day. Because you will have the glory of Christ. And the fullness of who you are in Him uh, will be revealed. Right? Um, there is a self-image. <laughs> or maybe we should call it really a Christ image. That is who you truly are in Him. Right? So why do I need to make stupid stories about being on the ski patrol, right? When this is who I am in Christ, right? Why do we have to try so hard to impress people when one day it will be revealed this is who I am in Christ, right? Why do we do some of the things that we do, right, to upgrade our self-image when, when what we are already is so much beyond any of that nonsense, right? 
Um, don't let the world tell you who you are. Right? Let Jesus tell you who you are. Do not root your self-image in the expectations and demands of the world around us, of your friends and of peers and of the crowd. Right? Uh, take stock. Take inventory of who you are in Christ. Right? Let that form your identity and um, be the, the, the fullness of who you really are. Right. Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.